Coming to you live from Browns headquarters in Berea, Ohio, this is Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Brought to you by Jack, the official entertainment partner of the Cleveland Browns. Here are your hosts, Bo Bishop and Nathan Zagura. All right, let's do it live on a Tuesday edition of the program. Welcome into CBD. I am really Bill Bishop. He is the Z, which stands for Zagora. How you living, buddy? I'm doing great, brother. Doing very well. Uh, excited to, you know, last night concluded on the, the University Hospitals Cleveland Browns Radio Network, kind of our yep. our draft coverage, which was, uh, it, it's been an incredible week, and I think a lot was accomplished from not by not only the Browns and then on the content side of things, and so happy to, to have that in the past, but also sad because that was the big event that we had <laughs> circled, and now we really don't know. Yeah what the big event what what next will be next you know we know that we're going to get the schedule obviously and that's a big deal but i'm talking about things that involve the actual playing and or practicing of football and the browns returning to to business so that's what we're looking forward to i think more than anything at this point we just the question not the question the the issue is we just we don't know when that's going to be do you think when that schedule release is do you think that is a schedule that will be one that with proper time is a lock in stone schedule that the NFL will say we're playing these games and we're going to get ready to play them without fans which is probably the most likely scenario that that's the way that this is going to look that we will stick to this schedule uh do you think there will be any sort of hard and fast feeling to it I don't know I I do think one thing that you will see is that the schedule is going to be backloaded with division games in the event that things are maybe you know that they don't start on time. I don't know. I think we're going to come – they're saying it's coming early in May, and I think that we'll get an idea of what they're thinking and how certain they are. If you see division games early in the schedule, that's going to tell me right there the NFL believes there's no chance that things will – it will be hard and fast and set in stone. But if you see, you know, the six division games in the bat, all in the final eight games of a team schedule, which I think we might see, well, then that would tell me that they're not sure they're going to play it safe and we'll see what happens. But, I mean – well. It, Just to follow up on that, crazy. the tricky yeah. part there is is when you talk to experts on it, the fear is uh, that there will be a second spike of this thing that will be really bad by the time you get to December because you'll be dealing with it plus the normal flu that you'll have to deal with. So I don't believe – That's the other part. As I sit here today, yeah, I find it very difficult, as optimistic as I am, to envision a scenario in which the NFL this year is played in front of fans. Because if it's, yeah. if it's not played in front of fans – then I don't think you're as – I think you'll be able to go right on schedule. They will have everything in place for rapid testing on, you know, the teams, the players. Travel will be coordinated the same way that it is now, but I imagine planes will be completely sterilized. There will only be certain people allowed on your, you know, your plane. You probably will have maybe the same bus driver who goes with you city to city to city or whatever it is. All the buses will be sterilized yeah. because your travel is completely in isolation. And, you know, I know that the NFL is talking with Marriott Hotels about a scenario where, you know, every team would be in a Marriott and the only people in the hotels would be the team. No, but nobody else would be allowed to book at that time, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. So I think you can control those environments enough that, that's, that they'll be able to play the games. It's just a matter of who – is going to be present at the games outside of the teams and the officials, maybe some media. I, I could even see a scenario where there isn't media, you know, where, for example, too. like Jim and Doug and I are calling the games not remote. I mean, maybe on a, maybe like this, where, where the three of it would be on a Zoom, 
and, and yeah. we're co- watching on TV and responding to the action. I, I don't know how any of that is going to go, but I, I do feel confident that you will get the NFL this fall on television. I do as well. And I, I, have, I was trying to think just in my own head about, you know, if they tried to do it with some sort of social distancing uh, with fans in the fall, what that would look like. Like if there's 67,000 people at First Energy or whatever the number is on that, um, could you do it with 20 and have people sit six feet apart with, you know, plexiglass petitions and one person in a suite and one person enters uh, 10 seconds later, another person enters. I mean, it, you all say that like that sounds like crazy, but these are the times that we are in. And and you wonder if, if there would be a way to do it that way. It will take some very creative thinking, and it would take, obviously, a lot of capital to be able to pull something that off, like that off in order to, you know, to get some of the fans in. I, I know one thing, the NFL certainly wants to appease the fans the best they can, uh, but then you'd have to do something with, I suppose, waivers uh, for the players in terms of making sure that they were safe. It's a lot of hurdles, man. It is a ton of hurdles, and I think it would also be difficult because – the majority of the seats are season ticket holders. So you're going to tell yeah. every third season ticket holder they can't come to a particular – that I feel like You'd could create like logistical amount of games, nightmares. Yeah, which like would blocks be – blocks of games per people would be a nightmare. Yeah, I think it's either they're all in or they're all, they're all out. I see no scenario how they all could be in. I, I don't either as we sit here today. You know, I, don't I don't mean either. to be pessimistic out of the gates, but that's kind of the way I view on this thing. Um, I, and you look about the other things that are being proposed around the other sports, the NHL plan of trying to play in four cities. Uh, almost each division ha- is a city to finish out the regular season then to play the playoffs that way to pick you know cities around the country. And Columbus was a city that was mentioned for that. Uh, the NBA plan of, of what they were trying to do. Jeff Passan had a plan with Major League Baseball that included them, you know, basically going through a spring training in June and then playing their season from July through October and then playing like the playoffs in a warm weather spot in neutral field warm weather in November. And again, all without fans. Um, that's kind of the thinking there. Uh, everyone's trying. And I, and I think, you know, the NFL pulled something off. They were able to do something that was, you know, a form of competition without competition, something that mattered, something that's tangible. And I think other sports leagues are trying their damnedest to, to pull something like that off. Um, and I do think there's a path. I mean, I, I think the baseball path is legit, legitimate. And I think the NFL path without fans is, is pretty easy to pull off, you know, by the yeah. time we get to the point where we can test everybody. Right. And I think that's what you're, that's what you're banking on and certainly hoping for if, if you are a fan of the National Football League, and I'd imagine if you're listening to our program, you're, you're a pretty big fan of the National Football League. So that's what that's what we're all hoping for. I want to just – can I give a quick shout-out to our fans really quickly? Uh, something just came across my desk. Um, YouTube views for – there were eight AFC teams that did live virtual draft parties. Yeah. Uh, we had over – this is – I think this is unique live views. Um, north of 70,000 Browns fans. Is that, is that next, a lot? Does that seem like a lot? <laughs> so the next – so that, that's number one of these eight teams. Yeah. Second, third, and fourth, and fifth add up mm-hmm. to 75,000. Yeah. So, yeah. This is what we do, man. It's what we do. It's what we do. So thank this you, all of do. you who joined me on that, and uh, I really appreciate it. But that is awesome. 
Yeah, that's that's huge, and um, this is you know this is like when we do the Odell Beckham emergency podcast, and it's the that's number right. ten sportscast in the or, uh, podcast in the in the world. That's what in happens. The world, yes, yes, a pretty pretty big fan base here that we're dealing with. Yeah. As we get into the OBM co- hot topics, Ohio Business Machines preferred copier provider, the Cleveland Browns. So all the X's and O's for your office call two one six four eight five two thousand or visit OhioBusinessMachines.com. We are on the clock for the twenty twenty one NFL draft. We knew it was happening, when it was going to happen next year, but it will be moved back a week. So it'll be uh, in 2021. It'll be the 29th through the 1st of May will be the draft. Um, we know from uh, some of the earlier reporting upon the release that, and that reporting continues, that it'll be um, it places in or around First Energy and the Rock Hall. So that is now set in stone. And uh, obviously when you, when you try to do something here, if you're going to try to do some form of it outside, you beg for the weather, right? You hope that we don't get yes. rainy in 52. Nope. No, you do not, and that is that's the risk of old, old Cleveland. We've seen plenty of rain this April, Bo. Have we not? Yeah, plenty. that's pretty much. We've seen yeah, some right. snow. We've seen hail. I mean, if yeah. it, let, if this were this week, if it were if the draft were this week, and we would have this weather to deal with, it'd be fifty-seven and rainy Thursday, fifty-one and rainy Friday, fifty-eight and partly cloudy on Saturday, is what you'd be looking at down on the water, my friend. Which is not bad, but if it was last weekend, you'd be looking at oh. Drack. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah, it's tough. Absolutely terrible. But that's on the clock, and um, you, you hope by then it, it goes off and you're able to pull it off uh, in, in some sort of a relatively normal fashion, you know? That's kind of what you're hopeful for. That's, yeah. A little bit later in the show, we will pay – Kevin Spansky was on RBS this morning, and we'll play some of – a little bit more of that um, in the 2 o'clock hour, along with Joe Thomas, who will join us at 2.15 as well. Uh, but But – one thing we wanted to play right out of the gates here was Coach talking about virtual minicamp on May 8th through the 10th and then the vets on May 11th. Let's have a listen. Yeah, so how it works right now, we have the virtual off-season pro- program going on with the veterans, uh, and that's Monday through Thursday. We get two hours of classroom time with them, and we're spending some time on Zoom. We're have, sending them some videos to watch. Then with the rookies, we'll have a rookie minicamp, believe it or not, in a couple weekends, that weekend of the 8th through the 10th. And that's a little bit more structured based on the amount of time we can have with the guys. And then the rookies will then jump in with the vets May 11th in this virtual off-season program. There's a lot of ways to do this. We know what uh, the Saints are doing where Sean Payton said, don't bother, I'll see you in July. Uh, You know, that's the way he's going to do it. you know, this is the way that, that, that Kevin is choosing to do it. I don't know that there's a right or wrong way because this is unprecedented time. So there's not like you can say, well, this worked the last time we had a pandemic in 2009. I mean, there's no there's no way of knowing exactly what that thing would look like. Um, what do you think would be the, the minimum requirement for an NFL team to be ready for a regular season in terms of training camp? I'm thinking more about that even than – because these mini camps are – and these things are all going to be – in these, these vet camp – you know, the rookie minicamp, these are all going to be different. Uh, you'd, I would say probably f- a month. Four weeks, yeah. Yeah. I mean, veteran teams that are going through the same system, you know, maybe less. Joe Thomas needed, what, three practices, he said, to be ready to go? <laughs> yeah, so right. I think yeah. that's the range. But I, I think some six weeks is probably ideal, but you could probably do it in four, in four weeks. And, and I would probably, in that case – no preseason, right? No preseason games. None. Yep. You would just roll a, roll a camp, work on yourself, get ready, 
and then you get you get right into it. And, and it, if it's the same for everybody, yeah. At least you, on one hand, you have a level playing field. Again, I would say that maybe teams that had, you know, new coaches would get five weeks, and the everybody else gets four weeks to try to do some type of compensation for it. But anywhere four to six weeks, I think if they can get that kind of a lead time, then they can they can roll right through it. Yeah, I think that that seems to be the most logical. Something a, of a, a four to five week prep training camp where it's just practice. Uh, I think one thing that the NFL is going to be very conscious about, and, and you just look at their past history and it backs it up, is that everyone has the exact same rules. They're big on that, that everyone has the exact same opportunities. And there's going to be certain states where there are going to be different hurdles to overcome than others. We've been very aggressive with it in our state. There are states out west, like Wyoming's only had two deaths to coronavirus in the whole state. Yeah. Um, and obviously, there's not a team in Wyoming, but I mean, there are teams in Denver um, and there are, you know, so the, how to deal with it different in different states versus the type of lockdowns. Georgia's going all back this weekend um, to, to, you know, the way that it was. So there's Why? a wide range of how these governors are handling this. And I think that the challenge for Goodell is to make sure that everybody in his league is on equal footing. Why? Why are they doing that? Why have them on equal footing or why the no, hell why go back Georgia? to life as normal in your former home state? Yes. What are they doing there? I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know. <sighs> it is, it is incre- it's it's incredible. It's two realities, brother. It's yeah. two realities. I, I mean, we, we had we, my, uh, my wonderful father-in-law's birthday was yesterday. Happy birthday to Papa Stan, as the boys call him. And, um, and you know, we, just driving over there, I, you encountered people that are – and you saw people on the streets who were doing things a thousand ways different on one side of the street compared to the other. So it's it's just a it's two realities we're living in, brother. There's no there's no doubt about it. It's uh, and that's un- unfortunately I think part of the reason why we will be living in it longer. for longer. Yeah. <laughs> because there is unfortunately only one reality. Yes, we can live in two, but there's there can only be one. There can only be one, my friend. For more than 160 years, Fifth Third Bank has been here to support their customers, their families, their businesses, their communities. COVID-19 hardship assistance is available. Visit 53.com for detailed information. Fifth Third Bank, they're here to help. Fifth Third Bank, National Association member, FDIC. Coming up next, we go around the league. Our buddy Dan Graziano with some thoughts on the Aaron Rodgers Packers situation. We get into that coming up next. Off and running on a Tuesday, CBD, 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. First responder or healthcare worker, now you can go to McDonald's through May 5th, get a free thank you meal. Small token of gratitude for all that you're doing. And if you're not a frontline worker, let one know. McDonald's would be proud to take your order. Time to go around the league. Brought to you by Jack. Our buddy Dan Graziano uh, was on ESPN today talking about the Packers and the inability to trade Aaron Rodgers, not just this year or next. Let's have a listen. Yeah, pretty much impossible, Greeny, at this point. If they were to trade him now, very hypothetically, it's more than $51 million in dead money on this year's salary cap. It would actually add $29 million to this year's cap. They don't have that cap room to even do it if they wanted to. Even if they trade him next year, you're looking at more than $31 million in dead money. Uh, a trade of Aaron Rodgers out of Green Bay is pretty much impossible this year and would be extremely painful for the team next year. If you were to do it this time next year, you'd have to be sure that Rodgers was done and or Jordan Love was absolutely 
absolutely ready to go and be a star in the NFL in 2021. So, yeah, asking for a trade is very far-fetched and, and quite frankly, uh, kind of an insane overreaction. I mean, Aaron Rodgers has been there since 2005. He's played in four NFC championship games. Like, the, the notion that the Packers are not consistently putting Aaron Rodgers in a position to win and succeed and win championships just isn't supported by the facts. No, no, it, that that well. well I don't know if I agree with that, that statement. I don't know that I agree with our boy Dan on that one. I I think the interesting thing, if I were to tell you in 2009 that neither Aaron Rodgers nor Ben Roethlisberger would play in a Super Bowl in the next decade to follow, which one would have been more unlikely? <sighs> Rodgers would have been more unlikely to me. Yeah, because at that point, the Steelers did not have Brown or Bell, so you wouldn't have, right? When did Antonio Brown get there? Not not then. After that. that. After. Yeah. Uh, once the Steelers had Brown and Bell, if I were to tell you that they weren't going to get to a Super Bowl, I would have said that's nuts, that they, they would have gotten back, especially as, you know, the Patri Patriots were receding and, um, you know, the Broncos no longer had Manning and that was done. That, that They seemed like they had next. But it's shocking, I think, for both that they, they reached the Super Bowl multiple times in the 2000s, and neither one has been back, the, went a whole decade with neither team getting back with those Green, two quarterbacks. Green Bay almost had a chance the year when they – didn't they lose to Seattle because they botched recovering an onside kick? Am I making that up? <sighs> you know, I remember a lot of playoff games at Lambeau, you know, over the years where they – That one I feel like they lost. Eli beat them. Elam went, uh, Eli went in and beat them. Was that – yeah, when, he, when they were the sixth seed. That's the year that the Giants went from sixth seed to the Super Bowl and beat the Patriots in Indy. Who were, okay, so that, yeah. That was the year, the, yeah. That was the year. So that, With that, Hakeem yeah, Knicks, that Knicks Bowl, had a monster game in that game. Yeah, yeah, and they, they somehow pulled that off. So they've, they've had it, bats in it, but they haven't been able to oh, get yeah. to the Super Bowl. Um, and this, the same is true of the Steelers a little bit. I just think from a, from a Packers standpoint, it's pretty wild that you wouldn't do everything in your power to win one. Like, to me, that's all that matters. I think this league, sometimes there's teams in this league, they're far too worried about what, trying to project what's next instead of how do we maximize this moment. We, we have, to win a Super Bowl is all that matters. Like, just win it once. It's all that matters. So Dan Graziano just said that it's basically impossible for them to get rid of him for two years. Yeah. So that means you've drafted Jordan Love to not play for two years. You used a first-round pick and a, first round a pick. loaded wide receiver draft to get a guy who's not going to play for you. Now, you may say, that's worth it to us because we believe he's going to be the next Aaron Rodgers, and maybe in, in three to four or five years from now that'll be proven out. But I'm with you. You want, The goal is to get a Super Bowl. And it's the goal is to get – it's all that matters is trying to win. And you've got a very limited window now with one of the all-time greats on a team that just went 13-3, and three, a team that just went to the championship game. And – it almost is like you're already looking to the future and not giving any attention to this. There's this stat, and, and I think it's kind of an amazing stat. You talk about Favre, you talk about Manning, you talk about Breeze. They've thrown hundreds of touchdown passes to former number one overall picks or first-round picks. 240 to Manning, right? Yeah. No, 293 to Manning. One, one by Aaron Rodgers, and it was to Mercedes Lewis at the very end of his career last year. It's the only time he's yeah. ever thrown a touchdown to a first-round pick. 
Yeah, Breeze and Brady. Breeze 104, Brady 105, Manning 293, Favre 127. So this yeah. is a relatively new phenomenon that they're doing in Green Bay where they say, you know what, we're going to go the other way. We're not going to give you any talent. Best of luck to you. Okay. And it's not even about all first-round picks being hits. Plenty of them aren't. It's the intent. They never it's even the tried. Intent. They're not trying to do to give him now, players. Now, Randall Cobb was a very good player. Jordy Nelson was sure. a very good player. Devontae Adams right. was a very good player. All second-round picks. Greg Jennings, I think, was a fourth or a fifth-round pick. So they've gotten some good players for him, but at the same time, I just would have thought this would be a year where you're absolutely trying to to maximize and help him out. Not not what they were doing at all. No, and and it's uh and you know obviously as as Dan said, nearly impossible to trade him. Obviously this year they won't trade him at all. I wonder. I think you could see something like I said yesterday. The Denver thing makes all the sense in the world if Drew Locke falls on his face this year. Uh, with all of the weapons they have, that that they would be in play to get him. Um, speaking of, before we get to the the Colquitt news, so uh, just I suppose out of a thirst of wanting to see sports documentaries because of the Last Dance this morning on the treadmill, I watched. Have you seen the Thirty for Thirty Elway to Marino? No, I haven't seen that one. Fascinating. Um, Elway goes number one in that draft to Baltimore. Uh, he tells them he will not sign there. Do not pick me. I will not sign there. All these teams are trying to offer Ernie Corsi, the general manager of the of the Colts, uh, something to come up. He st- holds firm. He's a young GM, holds firm because Elway's far and away the best player in that draft. Elway, of course, uh, does not sign there. He ends up getting traded to Denver. One of the most uncomfortable press conferences I've ever seen from a rookie quarterback or any human being ever was the press conference he had after Denver drafted him, the way he came off, so entitled. Like, I don't even know if he would have survived the negative media attention if he would have tried to pull this off today. And then the other thing that blew my mind was apparently Dan Marino fell to 27. Yeah, late, because late. there was Because there was some notion that he was doing drugs his at senior college. year at Pittsburgh, uh-huh. yeah, that he did drugs in college. So maybe I've seen snippets of this. Pick. I didn't watch the whole thing. Even though, though they, like, the Steelers put a PI on him to like see if there was anything to it, and there wasn't. They couldn't come up with anything, and the Steelers still passed on him. The other nugget that was in, incredible, and the reason I want to really bring this up, I highly recommend it. It's fascinating in terms of the draft. Bill Walsh talked to Baltimore about a trade for Montana for the number one pick. And there's a, a line that this agent took copious notes on this. Every, every conversation he took notes on so he could go to the Elways. The line was that Walsh said, if I can find a trade for Montana, I want to come up to get number one with Elway. Can you imagine that change in history? The disrespect shown to Joe Montana just repeatedly is just Isn't that amazing? ridiculous. That Absurd. Walsh – now, obviously, this was before 84. This was 83. So it's He'd before 84. Yeah, but it was coming off of 82 where I think they went like three and six. Um, and so there was, you know, a little bit of doubt, I guess. I mean, it's crazy. It blew my mind that like Joe Montana was was on the block in 1983. It was crazy. Highly recommend it. You'd enjoy it, especially just from an NFL draft. That I don't remember. I remember the thing about Marino, though. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty wild. Um, and the and a couple. Go ahead. I was going to say, speaking of wild, did you see the footage that was now released and confirmed by by the government, by the Navy, I guess, the Department of Defense of all the aliens flying around? Now, UFO, right? Not alien. We don't know that. Well, we don't know we it, but know. it certainly didn't look like it was of this world. <laughs> what more? What more can I take in 2020? We got an asteroid coming next week too. That's going to nope. skim us. So we got an asteroid. Us. We got yeah. aliens, and we and no one can go out of their house. Fantastic I do think though this is something we need to be. I mean, 
We need to be paying attention to this. Pay attention. How, to we, how would you prepare? I don't find know. drillers to be on the front line. I don't know. Get them so ready. Find some. Get, get some ready. oil drillers on the front line of the fight against ready. aliens. We, Maybe train drillers to be uh, soldiers. We need drillers on the ready because there's no doubt that one of us can fly the thing. There's enough technology we can fly it, but I, I can can't build it. a rig and drill on on a, on a moon. No, Only those no, people you can. You can't te- teach soldiers Only they how to can. drill. Teach drillers how to be soldiers. It's very easy. Um, <laughs> the uh, this one's in our family, buddy. Dustin Colquitt, after 15 years, sad by the Chiefs. Uh, I wonder. I wonder the great why. Great older brother. I wonder why. 15 years in the NFL as a punter is pretty good. Clearly good enough to punt for the, in, on a team that won the Super Bowl last year. So probably cost, don't you think? They're gonna have. They got to make. They got to start making some decisions about yeah. with when they're gonna pay Mahomes and um, what's that contract look like? The biggest ten years, four hundred million. <laughs> yeah, a lot. <laughs> ten years, four hundred. I don't think he'd lock himself one. into something that long. Probably not. I, the, what, who has the record for highest amount of guaranteed money right now? Like one hundred and twenty-seven or something? Is it Matt Ryan? Or is it Cousins? It's one of those guys. It's it, in the hundred and twenties. Yeah, I'll look. I'll look. He'll annihilate that. He could be 150 million guaranteed. And by the way, it'd be a steal. It'd be an absolute steal. Uh, speaking of steals, while you look that up, Matt Waldman said we got a steal with Nick Chubb. He says we got a steal this year with another draft pick. We'll tell you who. We'll get into that breakdown coming up next. CBD 850, ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Tide is offering free laundry service to the families of frontline responders. Visit hope.tidecleaners.com to find a location nearest you. One of our good buddies is Matt Waldman. He works with the Rookie Scouting Portfolio, and we had him on last week. We were talking about Nick Chubb, of course, and, and one of his favorite picks of the 2018 draft. And, Matt, we've done it again. Maybe you ought to come and work in our front office, man. You seem to like the same type of players we do. And that's speaking of Grant Delpit in the second round, who Nathan and I, gosh, the amount of time that we spent talking about, about Grant Delpit is probably it's probably the most of any prospect in the lead-up to this. We just loved him. You loved him as well. What made it – what did you love so much about him? Well, first I just have to say that the Browns literally walked into the middle of a bank, told them to open up the vault, and say, just load it up into the wheelbarrow, because they just basically <laughs> stole the, one of the top 10 to 15 players in this rich draft class, because he's one of the most intuitive players I've seen in a while. And you won't see that show up on his 2019 film as much, because he played with a high ankle sprain. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment, if you're out there and you're saying, well, you know, whatever, it's an ankle sprain. High ankle sprains, I'm down here in Atlanta, Georgia, Roddy White used to be one of the best route runners in the NFL. When he had a high ankle sprain and tried to play on it, his name should have been Roddy Off-White because he was not remotely the player that he was when he was healthy because you can't make those changes of direction and make those precise movements that are required to track, especially as a, as a safety, to require to track and be able to make those pinpoint precise moves to be able to make tackles that you need to. So, yeah, 
He missed some tackles last year. But if you turn on the 2018 tape and watch this guy, you're going to see someone who just makes unbelievable split-second adjustments that transform his choices into really excellent outcomes for the defense. And he does it at a speed that players can't think about. So when this guy's fully healthy, he's by far the best safety in this class. And I'm just laughing because he can cover, he can blitz, he can come up the alley and run defend. He's the type of guy that even if, like, you see plays where the defender gets the best of him, he's able to make quick adjustments and to be able to make a second-effort play that looks almost as good as what the first-effort play would have been if he didn't miss it. And it's that type of work that it's very rare for the, the top athletes. Russ Landy told me this, who's a, a co-host of my Scout Talk podcast that I do on iTunes, and he's a former Brown scout and yeah. also works in the CFL. And Russ talked about the idea that when you have a player who gets up quickly, like when they're dropped to the ground and they pop back up that quickly, that's rare. You watched Grant Delpit's tape on 2018, and it's like he's got little mini springs all over his body because when he gets dropped to the ground, he bounces right back up and is in position to make a play. He's an excellent player, and I'm super excited for Browns fans. Uh, we are too, and I love that breakdown. That got me even uh, even more excited, as it were, uh, for the Browns and obviously Grant Delpit. Who is somebody, just to kind of give our, our fans maybe a little visualization, who's somebody that you would compare them to in, in either play style, attributes, et cetera, that you know, they can try to envision out on the field? Charles Woodson at safety. Think of the former mm. Packer. Chucky Jeez. Wood. Yeah, yeah. Charles Woodson. And- <laughs> okay. In yeah. sold. That would that's that's tremendous. And, and you know, you think about our division, and obviously, you need that kind of a playmaker on the back end of the defense. When you were in this process, it's funny. Last night, I was saying the same thing. I thought I think the Browns got two of the the ten best players in this draft. I'm a, a an absolute Delpit honk. I, I think what he did in eighteen, I think he was one of the three best defensive players in the country that year. Uh, and as you watched him this year. We talked about it before the draft. You know, why aren't people, you know, why isn't he going in the first round? And you said, I don't know. The fact that he goes 44, that's going to put a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, don't you think, for a guy who knows that coming into the season he was thought of as somebody who was probably going to go much, much earlier than that in the draft. He is going to light up the NFL, okay? He really is. I mean, it may take him a little bit of time to get up to speed, but once he does, he is going to light up the NFL because of this. And, yeah, he's heard it all year. His tackling wasn't great, you know. But, again, people, people who do the analysis, there's, there's some issues there. One is that they look a lot at production, and production doesn't tell you jack when it comes to actually studying a player on film. When you study a player on film, you should be looking at the processes he does to be able to put his teammates or himself in position to make plays. And whether or not the play is actually made, if he's done that, odds are very high that that player is going to be a good player. Now, if there's some extenuating circumstance like an injury, that can explain a lot of it, especially when you look at the past tape. And the past tape was superstar caliber tape. So people are overlooking that. And they're, they're nitpicking from this year. They have short memories from what happened last year. So that's part of the issue. Um, but, you know, when you look at this guy overall, yeah, he, he's already – I've already read some interviews where he's talked about, 
Um, you know, he knows he's the best safety in this class, and he's hearing a lot about how he can't tackle and how he's been tackling for years and been able to do this in his sleep. And if you turn on the film, you can see that. But it's just an issue where the other thing that people don't understand is that because they see that issue and they may not equate it to the ankle or they may say the ankle isn't that big of a deal, maybe they've seen some things in past tape, the thing is is that Delpit is a very intuitive player, and most people who evaluate don't understand how to use, look at intuition and how intuition is a positive part of a player's game. It's why they missed on guys like Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes, because they see they don't understand how intuitive, creative play is the ability to combine the physical, the mental, the conceptual, and technical skills of a player and to be able to create moments that can't be coached or weren't taught in a drill. And so they, because there's not a, a, a lot of teams and evaluators aren't looking at processes in a way to be able to pick out that intuitive skill, only your like top scouts, like your guys who've been doing it forever, kind of have a clue about being able to piece that together in a way, but it's not something that's taught in a structured way. So as a result, they lean back on the bullet points, the structured things that don't really – show you the way to lead read between the lines. I mean, you know, you can have somebody who's a who's an absolutely um excellent technically sounding musician who does everything that, you know, you know exactly by rote but doesn't play with the feel that someone who's a Grammy award winning artist. And I think that when you look at top players it's the same thing. There are a lot of guys who hit all those bullet points but they're basically playing by numbers and you can see it on the field when certain situations come up and it doesn't, and and they don't respond well. And then there's guys like, oh, I don't know, Brett Favre, Charles Woodson, Grant Delpit, Nick Chubb, where you look at players who situations come up that should foil them, but they figure out a way to get it done. And you know, they never practiced what they just did on the field, um, you know. And Delpit has that quality to him, and he he's going to be an excellent player for the Cleveland Browns. When you talk about that intuition, and you went and you made a great, I think, you breakdown. Is that what the the layman is that what you call a guy who just seems to have great instincts, who seems to be in the right place at the right time, the ability to diagnose, have that natural feel for the game? What is it that when you see that, how is it that that us lay people, how can we see that in a prospect as well? What are we looking for? Yeah, what you're looking for in that is is really not just, I mean, you know, diagnosing things is important, but it's also about really looking at a situation where technically, you know, it's, you know, maybe he's supposed to um, run down the alley and tackle a defender in the flat and he gets a good jump. He sees the defend, he sees the, the runner and say the runner is able to plant a good stiff arm on him. You know, and that basically foils what he was supposed to do by the numbers. Well, you know, a a player who's not that intuitive may have felt, you know, getting hit and not have the body or spatial awareness to maybe do what Delpit does, which is actually turn his body, reach his hand up, and grab onto the ball of the the runner who just stiff-armed him to the ground and then force the, the runner to have to, you know, turn and address the fact that he's about to lose the ball. And the only way that Delpit is even able to make that type of play is because he has the body awareness while not even looking at the runner to feel where the runner is actually going and know where to reach up. And that's the type of thing that you're not getting taught in a drill. So it's kind of like taking things that you would say, um, you know, these are good play moments, but 
they're not things that would actually be taught, you know, in a drill. And, you know, basically being thrown, you know, stiff arm to the ground, rolling on your shoulders, and then having the awareness to spin off your back, turn, you know, your 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 back to the, the runner, but still reach up because you know that's where the, the arm is going to be and grab the ball. And then the, the, the basically the runner's hung up and can't get the first down on the play when it looked like he easily did, and now help arrives. He does that kind of thing all the time. Or to be ability when you're rushing the passer and you get blocked and you and the and the running back hits you well and you're falling and you have the a wherewithal to turn your body in a way in midair so that you land on your hands and knees and spring back up and reach for the quarterback in like one move. Those are types of things, again, they're not taught. It's the combination of your athletic ability and field awareness of the situation. And you, you kind of just have to look at what's being taught versus what you actually saw and whether or not you see like conscious decisions being made and a lot of his conscious decisions mean being made are things that aren't being taught yeah it's incredible stuff uh matt waldwin our guest rookie scouting portfolio talking about grant delpit uh matt let's talk a little bit about about some of our other picks we we haven't spoken with you since uh since we've made these selections and, and th- four the first four picks all out of the southeastern conference jedrick wills at, at number 10 and then jordan elliott the defensive tackle out of missouri at 88 and jacob phillips uh the linebacker out of lsu let's just start with phillips let's kind of go backwards forwards and start with phillips from the standpoint of if you watched a lot of grant delpit you watched a lot of jacob phillips what do you think the browns got there there uh, in the third round with the linebacker out of LSU? They got a guy who's going to be able to chase the ball carrier and bring him down. You know, see ball, you know, see the ball carrier, hit the ball carrier, bring him to the ground. And he's very good in that respect. I think from a diagnostic issue in terms of maybe pass protection, maybe certain things in terms of coming off of blocks and working through blocks, he can get a little bit better. But this is a guy that's, I think, promising and can help out this team right away, especially if used in a position where his job is really just to chase down the ball carrier. Matt, Jordan Elliott isn't a guy that, that I'm going to pretend that it was on my radar. I didn't watch a lot of Missouri football. I, I saw some of the video over the weekend of his ability to get off of blocks, and that was impressive. It seems that he's around the quarterback a lot. Do you like that pick? Um, you know, I haven't really watched him either, so to be okay. honest with you, that's a guy I'd, I didn't know. All right, let's go with Wills then finally to wrap it up, who we got uh, at number 10 overall. Brown's thrilled that, that he was there. Um, we we kind of knew this and that we're – in the building that he was the tackle uh, that, that was wanted. We know that Joe Thomas loved him. Uh, what, what were your opinions of Wills? Oh, I was overjoyed to see that pick because, I mean, as much as I like Andrew Thomas and I thought he was one of the safer picks in this class, Wills is probably the best, um, you know, tackle in this class. And, yeah, he hasn't played left tackle. And as, as my friend and colleague Ross Tucker talked about on our show on Monday that, you know, switching from right to left is going to, you know, can be a bit of a process and be an underrated difficulty. But at the same time, you know, Ross, who was an offensive tackle in this league, um, you know, talked about Wills being the best overall player um, at the position in this draft class and pretty much can do anything you ask of him. And it's just really about the timeline of how quick the adjustment will be for him. And this is just great news, you know, have him and Conklin. Um, and then Nick Harris, you get Nick Harris on top of that at center, who's a, a savvy player who can play center or guard and really good with leverage. And you get them as, you know, your future offensive line. Nick Chubb is going to eat. 
Uh, I think he <laughs> yes, is. He is. He, yes, absolutely. Couldn't He's been a ask for a lot of people from Texas. That's all I can say as a Georgia guy here with all this <laughs> stuff I hear on Twitter about, you know, Texas football players, Florida football players. And I've never heard Nick Chubb say anything on Twitter. And he goes, oh, I'll run over some Texas people. You know, so I did see that when they were saying which state was better, which will be good. I do want to ask you about one guy, our sixth round pick, Donovan Peoples-Jones, obviously was the top wide receiver recruit in the country coming out of high school. The college production wasn't there but you talk about the size the speed 44 inch vertical 11 foot plus broad this is somebody with incredible uh, athletic traits uh, who could hopefully the Browns can harness it and, and get the most out of here in 2020 and really beyond that yeah and really first thing just have him field punts right now punts and kick returns and you're going to see the return on investment almost immediately. I thought he was the best return specialist I saw of any player coming out in this draft class. Terrific wow. vision, really good skill in terms of being able to, um, you know, deal with pursuit and find solutions to get into open space. And he he was one of the Big Ten leaders, you know, in terms of return um, punt returns. And he's a terrific um, above the rim catch specialist in terms of fade routes, back shoulder type of looks. Um, so he's very good in that in that regard. And he has some nice speed turns and speed cuts that should help him out in terms of breaking inside or outside as a route runner on those types of um, patterns. He just has to learn to become a complete receiver. And, you know, you have questions about whether, you know, he never really produced at a high rate at Michigan. But listen, you know, since Jim Harbaugh came, they haven't had a passing offense. Yep. You, look at the, you look at the data, you just look at the stats, and it's just like, there's really nothing there. The last, you know, and what they've had have been prospects who have been kind of incomplete. And certainly Peoples-Jones may seem like a, a less complete prospect, but I think looking at the quarterback play that he had, there's a lot of opportunity for him to develop into a strong flanker, number two type of receiver. Matt, this last one just for me, and we'll get you out of here on this. Uh, you, you're native Georgian? Well, I grew up in Cleveland for 10 years, and then I came down here in Atlanta when I was about 10 or 11 years old. Okay, in the Atlanta area. It's interesting you say that about the Georgia high school football players in terms of – because I, I was in Tallahassee for a lot of years, and we covered Valdosta and Thomasville and Lowndes um, and Moultrie and that, that South Georgia high school football. And what I found when I got there is uh, the, the kids who came up from that – first of all, the demands on them were incredible in terms of what the high school coaches expected. But there was a quiet confidence – to all of them, and most of them brought the wood. And so I remember even Bobby Bowden and Spurrier in those times, they were the coaches at Florida and Florida State. They could not wait to get a hold of those kids in South Georgia because they just hit. And when and you talk about Nick Chubb, you talk about those Georgia kids, there was just a, a load of those kids that were in that area. Yes, and it's like, you know, I grew up on two great football you know, football states in Ohio and in, and in Georgia because you get a lot of tough kids from Ohio and Georgia, it is. It's that quiet toughness, and they definitely bring the wood. And they're kind of that – they're not players who talk a lot. You know, so you've yeah. seen that with, with Chubb. You know, Chubb yep. barely speaks a word, and he'll just run over about everybody. So Yes, he, he definitely right. will. Hopefully we can keep the, streak, uh, the string going next year, Matt. Appreciate uh, your insight and, uh, and your words on Grant. Give us a little bit of perspective. Thanks, pal. Hey, thank you. Yeah, that's Love the – um, that was that was. There's a lot of similarities. There really are. Um, and and in terms of like, you think about like what goes on, like at Maslin and and McKinley and that and Valdosta. Like 
you were in South, you were in Atlanta, the Atlanta area, obviously. And, and while the high school football is big there, just in terms of the encompassing the entire towns, right? Uh, some of those small towns were just crazy. Warner Robins, Georgia, was just crazy when you go to games there. I'm sure. I'm sure it was. Uh, I didn't ever have much experience that, other than knowing the guys that came out of those programs and how darn good yeah. they were. Uh, but I got to tell you, Chucky Wood, when he invokes the name of Chucky Wood, I know that gets me excited. <laughs> It gets me real excited. I, the the um, you know it's interesting the the stuff that he mentioned with Delpit was the that's that's the stuff you're born with you have that or you don't uh, the great ones have that stuff um, and it's one of those things where you do who if you watch college football you're going to watch LSU because you're going to watch the SEC if if you pay attention to it uh, up here you watch whoever Ohio State's playing and then you watch the SEC because you want to know how the Buckeyes compare with the best schools in the country and the best ones in terms of on Ohio State's level are in the SEC and LSU is one of them and so you were aware of who Grant Delpit was long before we got into any of this process and you were aware of those guys ability to fly around and make plays and that's who he is and to hear you know Matt say that and if you if you want to question Matt go right ahead he also said the same stuff about Nick Chubb and that worked out pretty good favorite player in the draft in 2018 was Nick Chubb that's worked out well as you said this time it's Grant Delpit and like I said the name, when you invoke the name Chucky Wood, that Jeez. carries a lot of weight. And now he was specific. He said Chucky Wood free safety with yeah. the Packers and also the uh, defensive you know, then player of the year, wasn't with he? With the Raiders. Oh, yeah, may, maybe. Might be some. With the that, Packers? If, yeah, is that something you might be interested in? Yeah. Pretty, pretty good. And I am. I love it. We've loved him. You're right. We've talked about him more than anybody. The guy we probably talked about the second most was probably Donovan Peoples-Jones, which is the most random thing of all time. But here he <laughs> is. Ranking, well, Simmons would have been probably number well, yeah, one. Yeah, Dosunos. Right, sure. Dosunos would have been number one. But in terms of naming them by their actual name, it would have been Delpit would have been the second one that it would have been. Because as soon as we thought that there's no way Simmons would fall. Right. Who's next? And and I remember in the lead up to the national championship game, going, you and I were talking because obviously you're you're doing NFL front to back week round. I'm watching a lot of college football, and he was one of the guys that I remember talking. You and I talking about saying you're going to want to watch this guy. Watch eleven. Watch seven, seven. Watch these. These are the guys yep. who are going to play. And it ends up uh, for, fortuitous that we end up getting him. It's it's really exciting stuff. Um, you know, going forward to, to get a player like that at 44 who has that type of talent, fly around playmaker, an incredible, incredible thing to stumble into. Really is. And to be able to trade down, I was terrified when they traded down. I was absolutely terrified. I felt like they knew that it was going to work out because you don't, I think, I think he's too tantalizing to risk. So I think they obviously felt a very, very high degree of confidence in that. And guess what? They turned out to be correct, which is yes, wonderful. Yes, it worked out well, which makes you happy, certainly. But there were anxious moments for Uncle Bo when when that was in the mix. I assure anxious, you. But yes, both of us. Our text chain would reveal great anxiety. <laughs> Text, yes, you were doing radio at the time, but my our text change had had great great. That's a great line. Our text change would reveal reveal great anxiety. <laughs> yes. Well put for a significant period of time. The Browns are going to commit 100 of the team's net proceeds from the 2020 Browns jersey sales at First Energy Stadium's Pro Shop in partnership with Legends and online at Fanatics.com. To hats off to our heroes fund to place an order from the First Energy Stadium Pro Shop. Call 440-824-3427. In store purchases currently unavailable. Adherence to all policies and social distancing best practices. In addition, partners and fans can contribute directly to Hats Off to Our Heroes Fund at www.clevelandbrowns.com slash COVID-19, which also features community resources and information relevant 
to the coronavirus. One thing, speaking of Delpit, I know there are probably a lot of people who will want Delpit jerseys. I would just say wait on that until you get a number uh, officially official. assigned. Because yes. I know he tweeted out the, the you know, the dose, dose, the twos, double yeah. deuce, whatever we're going to call deuce. it. Um, but, but that is not an official uh, jersey. It is open. But it is now. It was. It will be official when we make the final cuts and the changes. I just go back to Jabril Peppers going from 27, 22. Now, 22 is probably considered to be a little bit of a cooler number uh, than 27 was, so we'll see. But just, again, your, uh, word to the wise there from, from Uncle Bo, and, and a, a good one. Just with the rookies, it's better to know exactly what you're getting into. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that that would be the way to handle that. Uh, as I mentioned off the top of the show, Kevin Stefanski was on RBS this morning. We will play some of the highlights of that coming up at the top of the hour. You listen to CBD on ESPN 850. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. My wife just walked in front of the office with, like, mouth, like as if something bad has happened, or... A mouth agape? Agape? That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. I see all of the heads. Everybody's accounted for. to be involved, so that right. there's... I see three boys, and I see they're all upright. Bootsy. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I don't know what happened. Pretty dramatic look on her. It's possible like a raven ran into a window out here or something like that. That could have happened. Well, she's taking a f- – I don't know. I'll update you if there's any carnage. Um, I'll also – up. oh, here's a text. Let me, let's me let see what happened. She said there's a huge something dead outside of our window basement window. A huge something? Huge something dead. Do you think I should call I, – I, the next I need clarification be, on what the – How what huge? Is... What are we talking about? What are we dealing with here? What level yeah. beast? Yeah. Zagirl, that's what I'm testing. Zagirl wants to know what level beast. And when I place bets, I'm going to go raccoon. And I, feel like it's, I feel like it's got to be a I think bigger. dead outside the backyard feels like bird. No, I, and I think some, sometimes you can, which is be my worst nightmare, Sometimes with bird, you have you deal with the scope of a wing, and you, you it's hard to process their actual size because yeah. a wing is a turkey unfurled. vulture that maybe bit it after. I could see that maybe had a heart a attack vulture. while engaging in activities across the neighborhood. That's right. That or that would make sense, I think, or an actual turkey, like something like that, yeah. uh, would make a lot of sense. Oh, she sent a photo. Okay, um, I don't know. Let's see what we're dealing with here. Oh my God! It's an it's a hawk. Ooh, it's a hawk. sad. You don't like yep. to see that. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, it hit the window. Some sad good windows right there, then. Yeah, that is good windows, Fontana. It's a good job out of you. She goes. We got to call animal control. <laughs> well, we have woods. There you go. Let nature take its course. It'll be, be gone by to tomorrow. It, I think. It'll be It'll gone, be by gone tomorrow, tomorrow if, if you let nature take its course. I heard a thud in the break. I did hear a thud. This is the time of year where they fly into windows. Yeah, yeah, they don't see it. Can't see. Do you it. get? Do you get out of your house those robins that come and just get obsessed with their reflection and literally 
peck at a window forever and yeah, ever and ever. Dummies. Why? Yeah. I don't know. That's why they call them bird brains. <laughs> By the way. <laughs> right. You see how small their little brains are. Yeah. Problem. Yeah. It's sad. It's sad. Bird Here's brain. the one thing I will say. It's not going to be me dealing with this. Oh, no. It's a double dead. No. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's the hawk is is ha- is alive, and then there's another dead. What? Oh, God. So the hawk it's is double. feasting. The hawk's feasting. The hawk's eating. That's what's um, happening. What's the beast? I can't tell. Her picture's terrible. I, I said you got to get me a better picture of the beast. Well, problem solved. Yeah. The fact. hawk will take care of it. Yeah, that's true. The, 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 Fontana, I'm not texting her that. Uh, got to get a better picture of the beast. Fontana says, problem solved. Hawk sorts it out. Circle All of right. life. Circle of life, yeah. man. There it is. Be All some right. good well, there you go. A little update. little update. You're not going to get this in Berea, buddy. You're not getting this when we're in the dog pound. I'll tell you that. No, you're not getting that kind of nature segment. You are not. That's fantastic. Uh, I want to tell you about my buddy Alex's company, Northeast Factory Direct. We talk about them often. Maybe don't talk about online shopping as much as we should. Be- we probably should talk about it more. Right now, more and more of you are buying furniture on their website. So we're making a purchase online at northeastfactorydirect.com. Enter the code RADIO at checkout, and you'll receive an additional 25%, 25 bucks off, rather. Not only have the essential building materials like kitchen cabinets, sinks, vanities, but also important sanitary products for pools and spas like filters and pumps and cleaners. If you need furniture, mattresses, home office furniture, patio furniture, bedding, you can shop from the comfort of your home online at northeastfactorydirect.com. And you can still contact their stores. It's easy to schedule an appointment for a virtual tour or remote virtual consultation. Alex would love to hear from you. If you have a question, in fact, just call or text his personal cell phone at 216-288-1808. That is 216-288-1808. Kevin Spansky was on RBS this morning among the questions, uh, topics of discussion. Jedrick Wills not wearing 73. Joe said, go ahead and wear it. Wear 73. Coach said, no, not so fast. Have a listen. First of all, I think it's very gracious of Joe to offer that number up. I just didn't think that was the right thing to do uh, for a bunch of different reasons, and, and I told Jed that. And and uh, the good news is I get to assign these numbers. <laughs> so <laughs> What's he- I, made, I made sure that, that he knew what numbers were available. I love that. I love that. And look, it is an awesome endorsement, and we know how much Joe Thomas has already gone above and beyond the call, and it's great. But I think, you know, Jedrick Wills, when you read his tweet announcing number 71, he said, starting my own legacy. And I think that's I think that's probably a good and healthy thing in this case, right, for him to just say, you know what, I'm Jedrick Wills. I'm not trying to be the next Joe Thomas. We would all love it if he were the next Joe Thomas, but he's just trying to be – Jedrick Wills, and, and I think the first that's probably Jedrick Wills. the first Jedrick Wills, the first JW. Let's see if he can pull that off. Well, I guess second, second JW here. That's right. But I think that that's a, a good a good notion, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah. And honestly, with the way that the NFL's you know restriction on uniform numbers, there's not a ton to choose from. Like right. you're an offensive, you know, it's it's a it's a limited number you could choose from. So 71 is going to look good on Jed. And I think they it does seem that like these guys. It, they, this is a topic of conversation. I see more and more teams. Um, you know, a, a guy could obviously trade on that on that final one, but it's if you're if you go number 10 overall, you probably are going to be sticking with that number. Um, on here is coach uh, again. This is from RBS this morning talking about giving the fifth year to David and Joku and just the depth in the tight end room. David's a good player. I'm excited about what that whole room is capable of. Uh, 
adding a veteran like Austin into that group who's only 25. David's, I've seen David do it. Uh, it's it's going to be a matter of him learning this system, staying healthy, getting on the field. But but I have I really have high expectations for David. And then just at, we we saw a good player to add to the room uh, with Harrison Bryant there in in the fourth round. Just thought that was really good value. Uh, another good player. And, and on top of that, you know we we really think highly of Farrell Brown and Stephen Carlson. So I think we we want that to be a position of strength for us. And we're not going to turn away and say we have too many of one thing. Something that he hit on, and what I love about Kevin's fancy is he just articulates things very well. I don't know if you saw the quote coming out from Bob McGinn, who's covered the Packers for forever and is quite plugged in and basically said that the the Packers, Peter LaFleur was using the draft of Jordan Love to send a message to Aaron Rodgers. Kevin Stefanski was asked about that drafting. If you know not drafting a defensive end was sending a message, and he says we we don't send messages through the draft. <laughs> we draft football players, and that's what they did. But him talking about David Njoku yeah. there, there's a lot of belief about David Njoku in our building, and I, I've said that before. I will say it again. They think that he can become an exceptional player. Andrew Barry was very instrumental in the evaluation process that led him to be a first-round selection in 2017. He has a strong, strong ally in, in Andrew Barry, does David Njoku. So they believe in him, uh, and they are going to expect big things out of him. With, with belief comes great responsibility. Uh, but he will get every chance to, to capitalize on that talent in an offense that is absolutely suited to tight end production. And finally, this was Coach on the expectations for six this season. We have high expectations for all of our players, and and what we want is the best version of our players. So Baker's no different than any of the guys where we're going to lay out some things that we want him to get better at. We're going to tell him some things that he's really good at that we want to double down on. Uh, But I just hope that he takes a step forward, no different than really any other player on our roster. This whole thing's been about, man. It's all from Jump Street. From January on, that's what it's, it's all been about. It, it has all been about him, and, you know, they were doing the media rounds today. Kevin's fancy, as you mentioned, on the really big show. Andrew Barry was also on Golick and Wingo today, Bo, and, and he talked about Baker Mayfield and specifically his conversations with him this offseason. We're excited about Jed uh, and, and moving into the left side. We think physically uh, he has the feet, the athleticism, the coordination, everything that we're looking for uh, for a long-term solution at left tackle. Um, you know, the one thing that I think doesn't get talked about enough with his situation at Alabama is that, you know, he was protecting the blind side for a left-handed quarterback. Uh, and then on top of that, we have a, uh, a lot of confidence in our offensive line coach, Bill Callahan, who oversaw really probably the most successful transition with Tyron Smith in Dallas. So we have a lot of confidence that he'll be able to make, um, you know, make that transition smoothly. It will take work, but uh, we have a lot of belief in, in his physical skill set. So right, I was so Andrew that, talking, talking about Jedrick Wills, obviously, yes. in the move to left, left tackle from, from Golick and Wingo this morning as well. And that's something we'll continue to have a conversation with Joe uh, coming up next in terms of the conversations he's had with Jedrick. I know he's on Tomahawk this week as well, so uh, probably an extension, uh, an expansion of the conversation that Jedrick and Joe have already had. Uh, as you mentioned, Andrew, on Golick and Wingo, Baker did come up, and the conversations that Andrew had with Baker in terms of how this offseason has gone. Remember, this is one that obviously you would have hoped and in normal circumstances, Baker would have been here. He's not, but the conversations have taken place. Let's have a listen. I can assure you there's nobody who's more focused and determined uh, to put last year behind him and, and take a step forward than him. 
Um, we are excited about, um, you know, the environment that we've created around that position and our, around that room in general. Uh, and we think that um, we, we really do expect them to have a, a, a fantastic year. I know Kevin and the staff have done a really nice job with the uh, virtual offseason so far, uh, implementing the new system, and we think that he'll be able to thrive in it this season. You, you ever think, you think about the fact that we've got three, three of the last four Heisman Trophy winners will be starting at quarterback in this division, and the fourth one is a first ballot Hall of Famer? It's it's amazing, it's right? Crazy. It's crazy. We're, this division is absolutely loaded Loaded. The Bengals loaded up, folks. You look at all the consensus draft rankings, and I always like to think about quartiles. The Browns, the Ravens, and the Bengals drafts all in that top quartile on every single one that you look at, everywhere you look. And and so, yeah, this division is absolutely loaded, and it's going to be fun to watch. As I said before, I know know the purists, they want to be in the elements, but this division in in a dome – it, all yeah. domes would be unbelievable to watch. Yes, it would be. It would be fun. It, it would be fun to do it. It'd be fun to have a Final Four here, too, someday. I'd it, like that. Boy, boy, would it. Can I Super Bowl and a WrestleMania? Can we do all that? Oh, we could. We could. <laughs> could I interest that's, you in that? That's a, let's save that segment for June 4th. Yeah. We'll do that. We'll, do we'll that go through all June the things 4th. that we could do with a dome. Yeah, it'll be fun. Then we'll do that June 4th. Yeah. Uh, coming up next, the Hoff joins for a couple of segments the great joe thomas will join us coming up next in the meantime i'll tell you what this beast is as i look outside cbd a50 espn cleveland you're listening to cleveland browns daily on 850 espn cleveland if you're a first responder or healthcare worker now you can go to mcdonald's through may 5th get a free thank you meal as a small token of gratitude for all you're doing if you're not a frontline worker let one know. McDonald's would be proud to take your order. The Hoff joins us here for a couple of segments. Joe, before we uh, – I know Z's got stuff. I just want to update you. We had a beast incident at the house. I'm broadcasting uh, from the Bishop Estate. And uh, what we had was that my wife gave me this text, Joe, that, that there was some giant dead beast outside and that I had – she was in full panic mode. And I said, well, let's take a look at this thing. So she sends me an image of a hawk. And now what I can ascertain after having the benefit of a commercial break, Joe, is what we have was we had a a hawk who went down to get what Nathan has described as a baby opossum. I think that's probably correct. Uh, The hawk went down in the yard to get that. And then on its ascent back up to go to probably its nest to consume what was remaining, it went face first into the picture window in the family room and caromed down to the ground and so when my wife is describing a large beast, it was actually just an unfurled hawk getting its wits about it uh, with a half-eaten baby possum is what we're dealing with, I think. All I can say is I certainly hope that's not the Browns rally possum because that would be oh, a very, very sad way it's sad to begin day. such a happy week after the Browns won the draft. <laughs> right? What if it was the actual human possum, like the guy? It would be guy. unbelievable if that oh, guy no, was involved be- somehow. Oh, that would be even more unfortunate. But if he was around, I'm sure he could resuscitate the possum with mouth to mouth and save the life of this unfortunate. Thinking next level. (laughs) Joe, thinking next level. See, you have potential news. I'm doing a little a little CPR. I don't know if it's news or not, but this kind of stuff is always fun, and I love when people use Twitter for these designs. But one thing I will point out, is that if there is to be free agent activity, and Andrew Barry said over the weekend the team was not necessarily done with the roster, that the time would be now. Anybody signed at this point, it began at 4 o'clock p.m. yesterday, 
wouldn't count in the compensatory pick formula. So it wouldn't count as a free agent in against your free agents outs in the compensatory pick formula. So basically, you can sign guys now without having it to factor into that portion of things. And our boy on the red carpet, Mr. Hollywood Higgins, tweeted out today at 12.23 p.m., got something to tell y'all, dot, 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 dot. Now, Hollywood was tweeting quite a bit through the Browns draft as it's about the Browns players they picked. He seemed very animated about it. His pitcher still is in the Browns uniform. Oh. So, I don't know. Maybe there, maybe we'll be walking the red carpet again here uh, with Mr. Hollywood Higgins. Uh, well, let's talk, though, to our true insider, the man who actually knows what's going on. I was just going to say, he's probably yeah. been consulted. Yeah. He's or probably he's been, doing yeah, consulting yeah, he's on probably, this. Maybe he sent a threatening text about Hollywood Higgins. What do you say, Joe Thomas? Well, remember, guys, I'm not an insider. I'm just an analyst, but uh, I talk with GMs and head coaches on a daily basis to find out what they're doing. But, uh, no, I think it would be great. I think Hollywood is one of those guys that always felt like he showed us a little bit of what he can do from a potential standpoint. It seemed like Baker had a nice relationship with him a couple years ago, and for whatever reason it didn't work last year like some other guys. But uh, I could see similar to kind of Njoku. It seems like this new staff, really has some great plans for David Njoku and potentially maybe Hollywood Higgins. I think as a number three receiver, he could be a great addition to the Browns offense. He would be. We'll keep an eye. I'll let you, if we if we get anything actual other than just a little cryptic tweet to get everybody all up in arms, <laughs> we'll let you know. But I don't think that door was closed. I will say that, and, and we'll see if that's you know if ultimately Hollywood comes back here or he applies his trade somewhere else in the NFL, as he certainly uh, is capable of doing. So we'll see what goes on there. But Hoff, you came on declaring a victory in the draft for the Browns. I mean, the consensus is you know it was one of the better drafts in the league. Unfortunately, two of the other consensus better address the league happened in our division as well with the Ravens and with the Bengals but now that you've had some time to to sit there and you know go ahead and, and digest it all what do you think about you know what the Browns have done now beyond just your guy Jedrick Wills well I think they had a fantastic draft they were able to get their safety that they coveted Grant Delpit in the second round uh, they were able to pick up a tight end from Florida Atlantic Harrison Bryant who I think is going to play really well into the offense that uh, Kevin Stefanski wants to run with uh, multiple tight ends. But uh, one guy that probably hasn't been talked about a whole lot and probably hasn't excited Browns fans, especially because we have J.C. Treader at center, but uh, Nick Harris is a guy that when I showed up at the combine, I did it with Sean O'Hara, the former uh, New York Jets Super Bowl winning center, and he's now an NFL analyst, and him and I do – uh, the analysis for the NFL combine offensive line drills. And as soon as I showed up, I was asking him, Hey, who should I watch for centers? And he goes, you know, everyone likes uh, Cesar Ruiz from Michigan. He's kind of the consensus number one, but the guy that he liked the best at the center position was Nick Harris from Washington. And we both watched him on the field and the guy can move. He, he can uh, open his hips. He can run. He seems to have really good technique when you turn on the film He's a guy that's got great hand placement. He's got great hand use. And I'm not ready to compare him yet, but Sean O'Hara told me in confidence, he goes, this guy might be another Alex Mack. Let's hope for the Cleveland. Wow. So I'm not sure he's going to start out at center right away because obviously J.C. Trudder has been doing a fantastic job at that position. But uh, you might see him early on in the career battle for that right guard position. And then whenever J.C. Trudder ends up moving on, he might slide over and become – that uh, center for who knows, maybe a decade, but to be able to pick up a guy like that 
which is as highly rated and respected among people that seem to know the center position in the fifth round. That just says everything that I need to know about the Browns draft from last weekend. Joe, that's interesting because, uh, you know, Nathan and I were were on the air when that draft play when that pick took place and uh the, the first thing that that we wondered was is if that would be a, a pl- we first of all we love the fact that he's familiar with wide zones so that's a big part of it uh and then we we said well i wonder if that would be somebody who could battle at right guard um as you've had more conversations about harris than we have is, is that would that be a natural positional switch for him to try and battle at right guard because other than that it's the only real position on our line that uh there there would be an open battle yeah, clearly uh, right guard is the only position that there is much of a battle going on here once we get going with football again. Um, and center and guard is kind of the typical positions that are a little bit more interchangeable. Sometimes centers are a little bit more undersized, and Nick Harris is about 6'1", 300. So he would be a shorter, smaller guard than you're used yeah. to seeing. But um, it, when you're talking about the wide zone system, if you can be faster than your opponent – you can use speed in the same way that some people use strength and power on the offensive line. So if you look back to Mike Shanahan, his uh, days when he sort of was the first person that invented and ran the wide zone scheme in the 90s when they had Terrell Davis and John Elway, all their linemen were like 6'1", 6'2", 275, 280 because they wanted speed, because they could use speed in the same way a lot of offensive linemen use strength and power. And so being that the system we run is favorable to great athletes or big men that can move. Uh, Nick Harrison could potentially, if he learns the technique, play right guard, even a little smaller than most right guards because he is a great athlete. And so um, I think what they're going to probably do without talking to anybody in the building, hence not an insider, just an analyst, <laughs> is start him out at right guard and see what he does. Uh, who knows? Uh, he played center in college, but uh, he might be able to pick it up really quickly. He might be a guy that's, uh, has a, a less steep learning curve than some other people. And he might go in there and wow him and they can start him at right guard. But I think worst case scenario, you play him at right guard and then he also backs up at center. And so he's getting those reps at right guard competing at right guard. But if in an emergency situation, he could come in and fill in and be your center because you are thinking long-term that he want, he should be the guy that replaces JC down the road uh, at center. So uh, I, I expect him to kind of, be playing both of those positions when training camp ends up starting up, whenever that is. When you mentioned that, and I was interested with the size, and because you know some of the scouting reports you read say if he was this guy was six three, he would have been you know a day two pick. And how much does that matter? Because I thought about that from center position, you're already low to begin with, right? Guard, yeah. it could be a little bit different. Would you? concerned about that or is it something that would matter you know in terms of his arms or like you said right there you think it's much more about his movement skills which is what everybody seems to think he has in spades yeah I, I think um the common fan would say oh short is bad at guard or tackle because arm length well arm length is really something that doesn't matter i know it's been talked about ad nauseum by millions of prospects and even scouts and gms really get into it but how often do you see an offensive lineman just standing there and holding his arms out straight and trying to touch it? <laughs> it doesn't happen. You play with bends in your elbows. You play with bends in your wrists. And it's much more about what you do with your lower body. The reason being short is not good is because you have shorter levers to create power. And so a lot of times shorter players have, they have to be able to overcome the shorter levers by being twice as strong and twice as powerful 
And a lot of times that's difficult. And so when you're a shorter player, you have a hard time sometimes moving guys off the line of scrimmage. You have a hard time creating that, that force that you need to. But that's why what goes back to running the wide zone is advantageous for small players is because you can get your opponent moving with your speed and your hat placement and, and where your angle is with your shoulders, which gets those guys to panic because they own a gap and they have to start running with you. So now when they're running, they're moving their inertia momentum towards the sideline, and they in de facto become lighter when you're trying to move them up the field if you understand the old cosine and sine geometry, physics, whatever you want to call it, calculus. Uh, of a, a shorter, smaller offensive lineman. And so I definitely wouldn't say that his size is going to hurt him in this scheme. Joe, Nick Chubb probably should have won the rushing title a year ago with that situation. And now you've got Callahan. You've got an offense that's tailor-made for tailbacks. You've got these upgrades in the offensive line. It's a little scary to think what could be possible here, is it not? Yeah, that was one of my great sadnesses from last season was Nick Chubb was right there, and I felt that the Browns should have done everything they could have to try to get Nick Chubb that rushing title because he deserved it, really. I mean, let's be yeah. honest. That should have been their goal going into Week 17, but I digress a little bit. Um, but, no, you're exactly right, uh, Bo. Go to Vegas right now. I hear the lines are pretty short. Put a huge bet on Nick <laughs> Chubb to winning the rushing title because – when you have an upgraded offensive line significantly, uh, you have Nick Chubb, who's a year older, but not in a bad way. You know, going into his third year, he's still in the prime of his career as a as a, a running back. You add an offense that has always historically been favorable to running backs, and then you look at Nick Chubb and what he can do as far as speed, which is always really good in the one-cut wide zone scheme, and power, because the best running backs in the one-cut system are guys that can accelerate to top speed quickly, get the ball in their hands, and then put their foot in the ground and then cut upfield with power, with their shoulders over their knees. And that's exactly the type of running back Nick Chubb is. And when he gets through those holes, he's a home run hitter. So as good as he was in the scheme the last two years, he's going to be even better in this scheme because it just suits what he does better. You have a, uh, Great offensive line coach in Bill Callahan. You've got a, a great scheme that fits him and an upgraded offensive line. So I see no reason why we don't see a better version of Nick Chubb this year who's even more productive than he was last year. Yeah, and a, a better version of Nick Chubb makes everybody else better as well. We're going to get into yeah. some of that coming up next with the Hoff in terms of what's next for this team going forward and, and the uncertainty because nobody knows exactly what is next. Of course, Joe, the ultimate non-insider insider, will have lots of opinions on that. He will continue with us. You're listening to CBD on 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. This is this is turning the mutual of Omaha in the breaks. Kibby telling me about his box situations he's dealing with. It's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. The Hoff thrives in the wilderness. I saw you he fishing. Does. He's a wilderman with with the goal with the girls last week. That was beautiful, buddy. I love being outside, man. There's nothing better than getting outside and enjoying some fresh air, catching some fish, hunting some turkeys, maybe chasing after some baby possums that are being eaten by hawks. I can't think of a better way to spend an afternoon in quarantine 
than getting outside, especially with the family. I mean, just introducing the kids to that type of stuff. It's stuff that they can't get in front of a screen. Yep. And to me, that, that's just rare these days. For and, and honestly, I think kids are starting to get back to going outside. They're realizing how cool that is. And it's those things that you can't get, like I said, in a, in a computer uh, lab or sitting at home in front of a screen. If you would um, just indulge me a bit, you were driving a big piece of machinery, and it looked to be moving oh. logs. Uh, what, what exactly were you up to there, sir? Have you guys ever played the game Stump or Hammerschlagen? No. <laughs> no. I, both sound <laughs> fantastic to me. I would love Hammerschlagen. That's incredible. Hammerschlagen right sounds roots. great. All Very right, destructive. Right. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yes, yes, my, my German roots coming out. Um, a classic drinking game, tailgate game. So basically you get a big stump, you know, three and a half, four feet around, and everybody stands around a circle. You've got a cross-peen hammer, which is a hammer that's got a narrow end on one side. Sometimes, some people call it a blacksmith hammer. And everybody's yeah. got a big number 16 nail in front of them. And you get one swing, and the goal of the game is to try to pound your, your nail into the stump, and the first person that does it wins, right? And you pass the hammer around the circle. Uh, naturally, you've got a 73 Kolsch beer from Great Lakes Brewing in the other naturally. hand, a big beer stein. And, uh, you know, you're enjoying the company of friends and family around the stump. Of course, socially distanced, uh, so you yep. need to have a very large stump. But anyway, so uh, it's, it's been on my to-do list, and the, the fields on my farm finally got dry enough where I was able to drive my excavator go pick up a nice toppled cottonwood, bring it back to the shop and cut her up and put it, put a nice hammer slogging stump in the shop for us to play once the social distancing requirements are lifted. So maybe you oh boys can come out God. here to Wisconsin someday. We can enjoy a couple 73 beers and some hammer slogging. Can you imagine? By the way, Gibby's excitement level for that is off the stinking charts. He, he can't get on a mic. But Gibby's excitement level, like I think he would Through fire up. Fire up the the hope. God willing, the Haslam's would allow for us to take the plane and just head out there. I would love nothing more, my friend, than to come out there and play Hammerschlagen with you. Uh, I have a feeling you would win, uh, but I do think it would be uh, considering it's a brute force. Real home court advantage. Real Hammerschlagen advantage there. There would be. That is excellent, sir. Excellent. Um, it, in terms of, if you were a guy who took preparation the way that that you took preparation and and you did. You were doing these virtual. Kevin Stefanski said on RBS this morning that you know we're going to have a virtual mini camp with the rookies here. Uh, I want to say it's like the ninth through the eleventh of May, or ninth, eighth through the tenth of May, and then the eleventh, the veterans. How would you how would you handle this circumstance, Joe, if you were paratrooped into it? So I was talking with Alex Mack the other day about his situation because he's still playing for the Atlanta Falcons, and he said, you know what, for him, for a veteran, it's actually been a good thing because. In the offseason, veterans really need to focus on getting stronger, improving whatever weaknesses they have from a flexibility, a mobility, a strength standpoint, a quickness, whatever those physical assets that you want to improve on in the offseason. And you don't need the practice and the meetings quite as much. Those are things that maybe just kind of take up some of your time. You have to be involved because the team is there, and it's, it's beneficial for the younger players to see you practice at practice and in meetings and if you know, you can give them some help and some wisdom. That's great. Um, but he said, actually, this will be a better off season for him personally because he gets to spend more time in the weight room working on his physical things, and he doesn't have to spend as much time with the meeting-type stuff, which are kind of a waste of time by the time you get a little bit older. But 
I think as a younger player, it's going to be challenging not having that in-person instruction, not having those practices where you can come back into the film room and sit down with your coach and talk about, hey, this is the technique that you screwed up. This is what I want you to see uh, next time when we go out to the next practice. Um, but you just got to make the most of it. And, you know, Zoom meetings, I think everyone's probably getting worn down of Zoom meetings by this, this point in the quarantine. But, um, you know, you, you got to just do what you can, I guess. You've got to. And listen, it, it would give you, you know, more time for – looking up things like hammerschlagen.com, which I am currently <laughs> on right now, so that I can understand exactly what the rules are, what I'm dealing with here. Uh, I like that there's red safety lines. I love this. The game master has the right to refuse play to any person before, during, or after a game. So if you don't like somebody and the way that hammerschlagen him, and you're the game master, you're out, sir. You're done. No! That's very German. That's, awesome. that's very German. Yeah. Yeah. That's the authoritarian. Beautiful. That's very German. That's fantastic. Oh, this is great. They say that the hardest part about Hammerschlagen is is typically securing the tree stump. But when you've got a Hoff, there are going to be tree stumps aplenty, Bo. Well, and he's got cottonwoods. He's got excavators. He's got everything you need. How many stumps? He could have 16 games of Hammerschlagen going at once if he wanted to. He certainly could. Joe, are you, given your Hoffness, are, are you somebody, is this a one-time, like you get it in the first time every time? Like how, how what's what's the goal for us who have not played before? How many how many strikes on average would we want to be able to drive our nail in? Well, you know, that's highly variable because it depends on the type of wood that you're using. You know, they say cottonwood is uh, one of the premier species because it's a little bit softer. It's one of the more soft species on the hardwood uh, tree scale. Uh, if you're using something more like a white oak, which is really hard, um, it's going to take a lot of swings. It also depends on the size of the nail and how many uh, other nails have been pounded into that stump over in time. But certainly, I think to have a fun game, you want to have at least four or five times around the circle. So, oh wow, uh, okay, little, yeah. I mean, you know, you want to have plenty of time to have your beer and see how everyone else does. But uh, an alternate version, which is also fun, is when you try to pound everybody else's nail in. Instead of pounding yours in first, it's the last nail standing wins. And that kind of involves a little bit of strategy, a little bit of teamwork, maybe some conniving spying behind the scenes to be able oh, to wow. you know, sort of uh, survivor-style <laughs> team up and try to vote people off the island. So there's a lot of ways to play the game, but in the end, everybody wins because you got a beer in your left hand. Gosh, that's incredible. What an incredible thing you've brought to us. I today, never thought friend. I would. I mean, I'm amazed that I've lived, you know, 41 years on this planet and I'd never heard of Hammerschlagen. And now I've got Hammerschlagen in my life and, and I'm excited about it. I can't wait to play. I feel like it's going to be glorious. Well, you got to get that stump and then you got to get all the other things. Well, we got to go to Wisconsin. I mean, when this you gotta is gotta all done, clearly. Hammer, and then is it, it's like a railroad spike, right? Is that what you're talking about, Joe, for the pounding in? Like, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a pretty good size nail, you know, like four four inches, and it's a number sixteen nail is a common one. But I mean, you can use any size nail you want. I think you just got to find the right nail for the size of and hardness of stump, and uh, you know, ho- however long people want to be swinging at that hammer before they're uh, they're ready to move on to the next activity. The discrepancy in strength could be enormous as well. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> someone of your skill set would be someone who would thrive. Uh, whereas if you were playing with someone, you know, of my stature would be very, very different. I feel like that I would have to have some sort of a head start over you. Yeah, I would say that one of my greatest 
attributes as a NFL player was I had really strong hands and forearms. And so that converts very nicely to the Hammerschlagen arena. And uh, I would say that if my hand-eye coordination was just a little bit better, I'd probably be undefeated. Wow. Well, we we would expect that. We'll be playing for second place. That's okay. But, Joe, your your wife clearly capable of handling a a lot of children. What's two more if if Z and Uncle Bo make their way to Wisconsin (laughs) for a little hammer slogging? Yeah, as long as you promise to sue V and bring the meats, we're all good, man. We're in. We can handle that. We can handle that. That can be arranged. Depending on who's all involved with that thing. Uh, (laughs) Joe, as you were. Yeah, that's a lot of meat. As you were. as you've been, you know, doing your non-insider insider works and and talking to people around the league, because it, we've had the draft to look forward to, and it was awesome, and it was such a cool thing. And I saw this quote from from Roger Goodell in in Peter King, where uh, Peter King's Football Morning in America, where he said, "I'm not sure this was uh, what he told his staff members around the league after the draft via the Washington Post. I'm not sure that in our 100 year history we've had a finer moment." I don't know that he's wrong about that. This was a wonderful moment for the league to do this. Um, this was something that obviously, from the rating standpoint, the country wanted desperately and responded to. But now we say, what's next? And you say, all right, well, we're, well hopefully we have camps. I think the NFL is very determined to play in the fall, and I think there's a path to do that. Um, what are you hearing on those fronts in terms of, of football in the fall and what it could potentially look like? Well, I think the NFL is determined, no matter what it looks like, to try to get the season started on schedule. Um, I think uh, it seems with a lot of states starting to open up a little bit, kind of slowly, that that's the direction that the country is headed. Uh, and hopefully by normal time when training camp usually starts the end of July, or at the very worst, maybe you cut a couple preseason games and you've got a shortened training camp um, and maybe even no fans allowed in training camp but uh, certainly for the NFL season to go off as normal will be an incredible lift emotionally for all of us especially sports jock NFL fans like us uh, to be able to go off with a regular NFL season would really feel good like okay we beat this thing we are finally going back to normal and we're ready but I, I would say it's, nobody really knows. Uh, certainly the NFL is going to have contingency plans uh, if their states that they're operating in don't allow certain numbers of fans. But, um, uh, God, I, we got to have football in the fall, man. <laughs> I would yeah. really, really, really die if we didn't. Oh. Well, I think we're going to. I just think more likely than not, it'll be without fans at this point. It's hard yep. to imagine with just the vast discrepancy in how it's being handled and the outbreaks across the country being so great you know, from a different standpoint, it's just hard to imagine a scenario where it would be in front of fans. And if that's the way it has to be, it has to be that way. I think college football is very different, Joe, because you got to get the students back. And, and that's something that's going to be really hard in some spots. Yeah, college football will probably have a bit more difficult of a task, obviously, because we're not certain about what school is going to look like in the fall. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I to me, thinking about watching an NFL game on TV, no problem. But if I was an NFL player playing an NFL game in front of no fans, that would be bizarre. I wonder if they would type in crowd noise, if they would allow, you know, a certain, maybe they allow 25% capacity and they make each That's what I was tickets sit at least two seats apart, you know, like so, something like that to kind of assure that maybe there wasn't as much contact amongst the fans and maybe just no concession stands be open so you don't have people congregating there and then just have excess amount of workers 
cleaning the bathrooms, cleaning any of those areas where people kind of have to bottleneck a little bit like the, the ticketing gates. Um, but certainly I think the NFL wants to make it happen. And if they can get some number of fans in the stadium, I think they will. It's going to be interesting to see, and I think we all agree that they will find a way, and hopefully we're at a point where we can do it with you know a lot of people uh, being able to take these games in, but at the very least get to see them on TV. All right, we want to ask you about this because we heard Kevin Stefanski talking about it earlier. You offered 73 to Jedrick Wills. Kevin Stefanski said, not so fast, Joe. Not going to happen. Uh, and he's going to end up going with number 71 and kind of, you know, putting his own stamp on things. Uh, what was that? What was that kind of, that conversation like? And obviously the buck stops with Kevin and he said, no, there's that's only one seventy three, and that's Joe Thomas. Yeah. I mean, uh, taking that number, obviously the, uh, expectations would, and, and the pressure potentially could rise a little bit. And, uh, the head coach is the one that certainly should be deciding on, uh, if he's ready for his rookies to uh, have to embrace the, the uh, improved or increased pressure maybe of, of having that number. But I remember when I got drafted, uh, I did my opening press conference and Doug Deacon was in the, the room with me and um, Ryan Tucker was 72 and that was my number in college. Yep. And I thought, you know, 73 was one of the open numbers and so that was kind of close to 72 for me. And so I went up to Doug and just said, hey, would it be okay if I wore number 73? Because I knew he had had it, and he was really gracious and cool about it. And so there was a part of me that was hoping Jedrick would wear number 73. So um, Coach Stefanski, I know he's doing what's right for the team. But, hey, maybe in a couple of years. I know it's weird to change your number always, but you never know. I like that tradition of having uh, 73 as a left tackle for uh, a couple decades and maybe a couple more. That's well, always that fascinating conversation of retire a number versus honor the player by wearing the number. Yeah. I've kind of been with you, Joe. I like the idea Same. of honoring a player by wearing the number. I think it would be cool for a quarterback to wear 14 or a running back to wear 32 to remind a younger generation of the player who wore it. I, I think that's Agreed. just as valuable. Honor him in the ring of honor, but still let the jersey go out. Yeah, to me it was a, it was a cool honor to have Jedrick reach out to me and ask about wearing my number, even though – Coach shut it down. Um, for me, it was it was kind of humbling to feel that respect from the rookies because, as you guys know, that uh, the younger generation they don't always have the level of respect that us old guys think that they should. <laughs> but that, that did feel pretty neat having having Jedrick reach out um, and talk talk to me and, and ask me about wearing uh, my number because seventy three obviously is really close to my heart. Um, not only because I wore it, but also my relationship with Doug Deacon and. The, the fact that he was playing my position at, at a super high level way before I did, um, that's a special number in Brown's jersey. Yeah, it, it is very, is. very this cool. This was special. We got Hammerschlagen. We got Hawks and Possums. Go ahead, Z. One, yeah, one. and I wanted, Joe, You, I know you guys have raised you and Hawk. If you want to plug again real quick for the great work you're doing, raising money, you guys are going to match up to 50000 to get food to those in need. I think you, you've raised over 22000 already, but I saw you multitasking during the show, tweeted it out, so I wanted to give you a chance to share that with our audience as well. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. The uh, Children's Hunger Alliance. It's a Ohio-based um, food bank-type organization that uh, is, you know, filling the gap right now in this time of need where there's a lot of kids that are used to getting their meals at school who are uh, food insecure, and now because schools are closed, they're missing those meals. And Children's Hunger Alliance was vetted by Tom Hawkshow, 
my podcast with Andrew Hawkins and the Cleveland Browns organization and felt that this was the best organization for getting food and, and getting money to those children that are out of school that are missing their, their uh, meals that they normally get at school. So you can go to childrenshungeralliance.org slash Tomahawk to contribute to try to help us raise that $100,000 for Ohio. And thank you to the people that have already donated because, like you mentioned, we've already raised over $20,000, which has been That's fantastic. Awesome. That's great, Joe. Always awesome. a pleasure, Mr. Hoff. Yes. My pleasure, guys. Uh, take care of that hawk. I can't wait to hear the updates, Bill. It's going to be fascinating. I'll send visuals. CBD, 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Oh, that's a pure joy couple of segments with Mr. Hoff. Get a little bit of draft talk in there. Get a little Hammerschlagen in there. Uh, get a little uh, animal nurture versus nature lodge. Nature always wins. Z, we can hear you messing with your microphone and headset, sir. We hear it on the radio. So while I while I don't have to come to you, I can hear you. Now what is he doing? What so are you because doing? My headset doesn't what work happened? for the, for the sound, so I have to have earbuds in inside of the headset oh. and there so i have two separate cords and then i don't know what it fell into the side of the couch and so i was looking and searching everywhere for the earbuds and i but i couldn't have it this is this is the perils your headset though you get sound through your you have one stop yeah. shopping one stop yeah, that's, that's nice that's yeah. nice yeah, only the that's best nice. for uncle bo that's right yeah, that's he's used to having lights for on and off when he's actually in a yeah. studio yeah <laughs> living the dream living the dream i'm over here in hammerslagenville Trying to make things what work. What an hour Dennis. that was. Just that last hour. An hour. I get inducted into the Big B Hall of Fame. That last hour is going to be just that'll be with everything certainly, that happened. Yeah, that'll be in the highlight reel. But what about Waldman coming on, talking about Chucky Wood? I tweet out about Chucky Wood. Who tweets back to me? The legend, Chucky Wood, talking about what he did, the work that he did in, in, uh, in Green Bay. Said, I played every that's position. That's amazing. I'm a football player. Yep, that's right, Chucky Wood. And I tagged the kid in it alive. who loves, loves Chucky Wood. Said it was yeah, sad. You're headless. Headless. Sad. It happens. Works for horsemen. It did. The next level's next. We're back tomorrow. CBD 850 ESPN Cleveland. You've been listening to Cleveland Browns Daily, a production of the Cleveland Browns and ESPN 850 WKNR.